Lord Jesus, just asking God that because you are who you are, because you do what you say you'll do, because you're faithful and you never forget promises that you make, because you're wonderful and you somehow value us more than anything in the entire universe that you made, because we're the very crescendo of your creation, God. It was us that you made last. It was man, woman, child. It was the last thing that you made, Lord Jesus, and you, and you made it the crescendo. It was everything you valued most. And you love us enough to die for us, enough to live for us, enough to live with us, enough to never stop. God, we love you so much. We are so privileged. We're privileged, privileged people. Help us again in your word and just find you in it, Jesus. Find the truth that you have in it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is Hebrews chapter 10. Nine, nine, nine. My slide person was like, I, okay, really. <laughs> Hebrews 9. I promise. I'm, I'm going to read through it. It really is an awesome chapter. Phenomenal chapter. Uh, but we're going to zoom in on several important things. So let's read it. Now, the first covenant had regulations to, for worship and, and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up, and in its first room with the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread, and this was called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we can't discuss these things in detail right now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that they'd committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered are not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of a new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not made with human hands, that is to say, not a part of cre this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption. Not for him, for us. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they're outwardly clean. How much more then with the, with the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we can serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he's died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. That's why even the first covenant wasn't put into effect without blood. 
When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, branches of hyssop, sprinkled the scroll and all the people, and he said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way he sprinkled with the blood the tabernacle, both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. It was necessary then, this is almost the end of this part, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ didn't enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he's appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages. That's a pretty big statement. At the culmination of the ages. That's God telling you where you are in history. To do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he'll appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, it's an awesome chapter. It's loaded with a ton of truth and it's powerful. But let's zoom in on a couple of things here. Let's just zoom in on a couple of things. So first, uh, the first covenant had regulations to worship and also a sanctuary uh, and was set up and we take it just a little bit further and it says, okay, in verse 5, above the ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover, but we can't discuss these things in detail right now. We're, we're actually going to discuss these things in detail right now. See, so, so this, is, this is Hebrews. He's, he's writing to Hebrews. They know all this stuff, but there's probably not a whole lot of Hebrews out here. So because of that, we're going to go over this real quick. We're going to talk a little bit about it. So look at what it says in, ver well, I'll start at verse Verse 2, a tabernacle was set up in its first room with a lampstand on the table with the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Oof. But behind the second curtain, we're only, the, the high priest could only go once a year on real thick curtains. Can't get through there. You don't even want to see in there. You'll die. The guy going in there wears bells on. That's probably where that term comes from. I'll be there with bells on. Because when he goes in with bells on, if you hear the bells not jingling anymore, he did something wrong. And you pull him out. So, like, there's, there's so much power in there that you really can't make mistakes. You don't make mistakes. The, the whole purpose was go in and do exactly what God wanted you to do in the, holy, in the most holy place and, and, then, and then back out and do everything the way you were supposed to do it. And so, you know, bells. You're wearing bells on the, on the tassels and things to make sure that, okay, we hear him jingling around in there. Good, he's still jingling. He's doing something. Okay, so don't pull him out yet. This was called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense, the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's bed, uh, staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Listen to what's in it. Listen to what's in this powerful Ark. First, in this Ark, which is, so, which is something God purposely put only three things in it, He's got the gold jar of manna. God's put manna in the ark. So it, it, it serves a couple of things here. One, it's saying, okay, I provided for you. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I provided for you 40 years in the desert. You walk around, and I rain down food. 
rain down food. It said it kept, kept raining down until, until they reached the promised land. That's a long time later. So he keeps raining down for 2.5 million people and all their cattle and everything. He keeps raining down manna for them to pick up off the ground and eat every day. Except for on Sunday or Saturday, whatever their Sabbath was, because that day you're not supposed to go out work. So the day before, he'd, rain, he'd double rain manna. And you go out and get double as much. And you weren't ever supposed to hold on to it because you were supposed to go get more the next day. It was representing something. It was representing the Word of God. It was representing get up in the morning, go collect the manna while everything's quiet, go get it before the heat of the day melted it away and that's gone and you can't get it anymore. Does that mean in the evening you can't read your Word and get something or on your bed at night? No, that's stupid. Don't, like, don't do that. But just saying early in the morning is a fantastic place to get in touch with God. There's, there's, go out back. The songbirds in Maine are magnificent. Just sit out there. You know, it gets light at what, like 3.30 a.m. or something like that up here? And so you just, you know, it wakes you up if you don't have an alarm. Go out there and listen to the birds. And just read the Word. Just pray. Just pray with God. Collect the man. It's not just the very uh, written Word of God that's so important, but listen for His voice. Let it be quiet and just sit there and wait for Him to speak something to your heart or just give you that peace that He's with you. Sometimes that's just all it is, is just feeling like He's present. It's amazing what it does. So, so God is purposefully representing the manna in here, but something else is there that I think is fascinating. See, Jesus, he climbs a, uh, at the beginning of his ministry, he climbs this mountain, he gets up, and Satan's waiting for him there. And, and he's starting the ministry, and he's, he's, got to, he's, he's got to pass his first flesh test, this 40 days of fasting, and then climbing a mountain, and then being tempted by Satan, who knows this is his shot. Like, he's really going to try to make Jesus sin. He's got to try to make Jesus sin. If Jesus goes to the cross sinless, he is in huge trouble. Yeah. Have you ever seen that little thing on, that little meme on the internet that is fire everywhere, and the person in the front's just like, everything's fine, everything's fine. You know, and, but there's fire and everything's burning around them. Well, that's Satan. He, he just, everything's fine. But he knows his destiny and there's fire everywhere. And if he can just get, he's pulling out his best stuff. If he can get Jesus to sin while grafted to flesh, while being tempted in every way as we are, if he can get him there, seeing him as weak, then maybe I can just make him go to the cross. And he's not. And he's not sinless. And then all these losers go to hell like me. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, that he's always trying to disrupt the kingdom. So his first shot is, hey, turn these rocks into bread. You're starving, right? Your, your stomach's cramping. You feel the, the weakness of flesh. You must be hungry. And Jesus' response is so wonderful. For one, he doesn't, he doesn't illuminate the skies and call God's hand to come down and, mm, and just smack Satan. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't call on that power. He uses exactly what we can use. He uses the word of God to shut up Satan. He does exactly what we could do. And so what he says is, what he says is, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what's so beautiful about that is, what he's saying to Satan is, all right, look, you're not going to make me go backwards. We already dropped manna for 40 years on these guys, and that wasn't enough. I'm not going to turn these stones into bread. We've already brought bread out of nowhere, and, and the people still died like, like, like flies in the desert. Just tick, 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 their bodies are everywhere. So we're not going backwards. We're going forwards. We're going to bring them the word. 
We're going to bring them the word of God that's going to change everything. I am the word of God. You're not going to get me to turn into a stone. Uh, I, I'm going to turn. I'm going to, I'm going to turn their hearts back to me, not turn the stones into bread. So the bread, the manna is in there. But this one's fascinating. Of course, the law is in there. Of course, the stone tablets are in there. Not the first ones. Moses literally broke the commandments when he came down the mountain and was ticked at the people at the bottom of the mountain. So he throws them down and literally breaks the commandments, all ten of them at once. I think it was a record. Um, it had to have been. He was the first one to do it. But on the bottom of the mountain, he'd been up there for 40 days doing the same thing, fasting. He wasn't even drinking water. The Scripture says that the presence of God was feeding him. He's glowing coming down off the mountain. He's so full of God. And he comes down, he's, he's so furious, he sees God told him what they were doing down there. And he throws the things down, he's mad, he grinds up their idols, the, the golden idols, the calves they made. He makes all the people drink it. It's a mess. Levites go through killing 3,000 people in, in, in their, in their, in their um, camp at the bottom of the mountain. But what's so fascinating about it is that the manna kept dropping for the whole 40 days. See, God's vantage point is straight down. He can see what Aaron's doing at the bottom of there. He can see what the people are doing. And he's still dropping manna. Because the Scripture said it kept dropping until they, till they went into the promised land. Isn't that just like him? Have you ever been provided for by God when you were going in the exact wrong direction? When you, or you, just, you were just, you, you know, maybe it was just a little speed bump in your spiritual walk, but you knew it wasn't good, and God kept providing? Well, newsflash, if you're in this room, you should be raising your hand because, yes, that's true. Uh, he does that all the time. We, we, we sin all the time. We still, you know, you're not, you're not saved and suddenly you're piously better than everybody else. You're still, you've still got a sin nature that you're wrestling with. It tries to rear its ugly head. And so when it says, when it says that, okay, Moses comes down to the mountain after 40 days and these guys are in complete disarray, God's still feeding them. God's still providing from Jehovah Jireh can't, cannot be who he isn't. He, he is in love with his people. He'll judge them. He's the judge too. But he loves them. He's providing for them. Right in the middle of that chaos. But then Aaron's staff that budded. Let's go back and read that actually. Because it's, really, it's number 17. It's one of my slides. So in number 17, and it's short, it's not real long, so if you're like, oh, is he going to read like a whole long thing again? Yes. <laughs> but it's not like super duper long. So here it is. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and get 12 staffs, one uh, from each leader and each uh, of the ancestral tribes. You know, Levi, Asher, Judah, Reubenites, you know, get, all, get one staff from each group, the leaders. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name. For there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law where I meet you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout. And I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. Well, they've done a whole bunch of stuff wrong. Grumbling against him, grumbling against Moses. Who are you? Who are you to lead us all? And like everything he says comes true. So I don't know what they're whining about. They're, they're alive because of him. They're out of Egypt because of him. Actually because of God, because God's using him. And so they're whining again. And in the last chapter, 
this guy Cora gets 250 guys with him, and, and they're all arguing, and they're all leaders. They're all local leaders, and they're saying, Moses, you shouldn't be leading us. Who gave you all the power? Who, who made you in charge? And the answer is God, but you know, they're all whining. He says, okay, each of you, and this is the part that strikes me so funny. He's like, okay, all of you get censors, put this amount of stuff in it, stand in these spots, do this, and God will speak to us. And they all just do it. It's like, who made you in charge? Oh, what do I do? How do I do it? Oh, where do I stand? Like they, they, they're screaming about him being in charge, and they follow all of his directions to a T. Except for a few Reubenites who are whining too. They just stay in their tents. They don't even come out. And Moses said, you, you, you want to come out? I said, no, I'm not coming out. So they stay in their tents. And Moses says, listen, if God didn't choose me to lead you, and he wants some of these other people to lead you, and they've done nothing wrong by confronting me like this, then they'll just die normal deaths. But if the ground swallows them up when I'm done talking, like, and everything that belongs to them, then they are sinning, and they're wrong. And then the ground just opens up, swallows them up, and everybody else. He already told everybody, get away from the tents of Korah and his friends. And everybody did. And then, poof, poof, and they all go down a little earthquake. Everybody. And it said that the guys that wouldn't come out, the Reubenites, they were standing at the door of their tents with all their families and their kids. It's like I said last week. Sin is a grenade. You just throw it right in your living room. It hits everyone that you didn't intend to hit. And all these other family members get hit with it. So that's, the, that's what precedes this chapter. So, so God's like, okay, enough. Enough of this whining about who's in charge. Let me show you who's in charge. Get the staffs. Get the 12 staffs. Got them? Okay. Put them in the most holy place or in the tent of meeting, which is what that became. Okay. Put them in there. One of them's going to sprout. So Moses spoke to the Israelites and their leaders, verse 6, gave him 12 staffs, they did, one for the leader of each of the ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the covenant law. The next day Moses entered the tent, saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them, and each of the leaders took his own staff. The Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. The Israelites said to Moses, we're going to die. We're lost. We're all lost. Anyone who comes near the tabernacle of the Lord will die. Are we all going to die? <laughs> They're saying it and then they ask. And Moses was like, calm down, calm down. Just, just follow the instructions. You see what just happened? Don't do that. They pull out the staff. Here's what's so fascinating to me. One, Ephesians chapter 2 declares that we're dead. We're like walking dead. Without Christ in our lives, we're just dead. You're just a dead man walking. And that when, he, when you invite him in, you become a new creation. And it also says that a tree is known by its fruit. So, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you know if someone's walking with the Lord, if someone's really truly saved? A tree is known by its fruit. What fruit do you see? A good tree won't, it won't produce bad fruit. A bad tree is not going to produce good fruit. Well, here's something really interesting. Where Aaron was a slave, there weren't a lot of almond trees. 
So I'm not even convinced that his staff was from an almond tree. And it doesn't matter if it was or not. Because what God is saying is, okay, see you guys? You're dead sticks. You're dead sticks walking. These staffs represent who you are without me. Just dead. There's nothing there. But let it sit in the presence of God for a while. Let it sit in the presence of God for a while and watch what happens. Watch how this dead stick can come to life and be resurrected. More than that, you see it start to bloom. Watch the stick produce fruit. It was dead before. There was no life there. There was zero life in the stick. The stick was just a stick. It was cut off from the source that would have kept it alive. It's dead. But put it in the presence of God and let it just ruminate in there. Let it abide in Christ for a while. Let it be in the holy place. And then it starts blossoming and then producing fruit. It comes to life, produces fruit. But I don't believe that it was necessarily an almond tree. Because we're called a new creation in Christ. So you'll produce fruit that you weren't even capable of producing when God got a hold of you. You'll produce things. Think God will pull out of you stuff you didn't even know was latent there because it actually wasn't. You're a new creation. You're a new creation. He made you a new creation in Christ. If you found Jesus Christ, you're new. The fruit you can produce is not what you could produce as a dead stick, but it wasn't even what you could produce as a live stick. God makes you a new creation. There are so many people who find God and then they're called to like be a missionary somewhere across the world and they hated people. Like why am I even selling my house and going to these other people that I also hate? I hate my neighbor. I, don't, I hate, definitely hate them. You know, people, people get changed by the love of Christ. You become something you weren't before. And if there's never any fruit being produced... You should check that. If there's never any fruit being produced in your life and you walk with God for a long time, but people really don't like you and it's not cool to be around you and you're surly and you're frustrating and, and there's just not much, you should check that. How do you change that? Go into the holy place and spend time with God and just sit in his presence until you start bearing fruit. He'll start making fruit that you couldn't even make before. That thing could have produced oranges. It doesn't matter. It's going to produce fruit if it sits there long enough. Well, you're like, well, why aren't the other sticks? Because the other sticks weren't listening to God. For one, he had to show which one he wanted to be the priesthood. He had to show that. And he was showing what happens when a priest of God sits in his presence. You bear fruit as a new creation. Now put that in the ark. Put that in the ark. But you and I, you and I, we're called to be a kingdom of priests. We are called to be a kingdom of priests. We should be producing fruit. We're called to have new life in Christ. We're a kingdom of priests. We're part of the Levitical priesthood. But if you watch how this plays out, Jesus dies on the cross, and the most holy place, the curtain, this big, thick, deep curtain that won't let you see into the most holy place because you won't want anything bad to happen to anybody, 
God rips it from top to bottom. There's no person there, but it says it's ripped in half from top to bottom. Ripped. Like a piece of paper. And it wasn't so that you could see in. Or it wasn't so that people could go visit the Holy Land over and over and get into the most holy place. Now the door is open. Anybody can walk into that little room. It was to blow out the Holy Spirit so that he would go in every direction to the four corners of the world. So he would blow all over so that anyone from any country, any nationality, anybody could get a hold of him. Anybody. It was to let him out. He'd been, he'd been in this box. Was he really in a box? No, you can't ever put God in a box. You've heard that phrase, and you can't. But the reality was you followed this way. There was a tabernacle set up. You followed a set of rules. It was a copy of heaven. Do it right. Purge things with blood. But endlessly over and over, purge things with blood. And it doesn't make the sin go away. It doesn't cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. But then Jesus dies for our sins and rip. And the Holy Spirit goes everywhere, everywhere. And you know what is heartbreaking? The Pharisees did what we often do and got to be careful not to do. That temple was around servicing the way it used to until 70 A.D. when the Romans wiped it out. So what did they have to do? Sew it back up. Sew the curtain back up. We got to do things the way we're supposed to do them. There's a most holy place, only one priest once a year. That Jesus wasn't the Son of God. We killed him on a cross. Uh, we're going to just go back to the way things used to be. Sew up the temple, one guy, one time. Never any cleared conscience. This is how we like to live. That's why God ripped that place apart. Is it so that you wouldn't go worship there anymore? It wasn't the way. He opened a new and living way through a better tabernacle, through the Holy One that wasn't a part of creation, wasn't anything people made. It was Jesus by his own blood, perfect. A perfect sacrifice for you and I. And so we can't do that. Don't go backwards. That's why he says in Galatians, Paul's saying in Galatians, why are you going back to rules and regulations? Why are you doing that? A new and living way has been opened up. All you've got to do is just access the Father by getting into the holy place until fruit starts to bloom. Don't try to make it difficult. I've given you my word. Study it. Get in it. Pray to me. Serve me. I've given you the ability to serve me. I've given you the ability to produce fruit. You're a new creation. Don't go backwards and make it about rules and laws and foolishness. That's not what it's about. So back here. I'm going to go back to Hebrews 9 for a second because I want to show you something. Just to prove the point. It is crazy. I couldn't turn right to it. He said, I just turned right to it. That's crazy. I was like, I wish I could get there. Here we go. <laughs> Hebrews 9. Now the first, verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. Had regulations for worship. What's our regulations for worship? 
Oh, amen. Worship in spirit and in truth. The true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. <laughs> I always counted you, John. <laughs> You're awesome. Listen, but I, I wasn't going there, but I love that. Let's just add that in there. Let's just let's add that. Sprinkle it. That's good. Uh, I'm, I was going to Romans 12 because I want to show you, like Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Offer yourselves to God. Give him time. Give him time. It's this simple. Find a place in your house and sit down. In my house, this is not simple. Where there's no noise or chaos and nothing happening, and just pray. Wait there. It's not going to take as long as you think. You'll walk in thinking, because Satan's going to be ribbing you the whole time. You're wasting your time. There's 50 things you could be doing, and the first should be social media. Wake up. There's like 15 notifications on social media. You haven't even checked any of them. Wake up. Stop wasting your lives. Get up. Put the phone aside. Put all things aside. And just sit there and pray for a while. And then just shut up. Those sticks didn't have to talk to bear fruit. Just sit there and just, the scripture says, the more you behold him, the more you become like him. Just sit in his presence. It's that simple. That's the plan. That's your true spirit of worship. This, Lord Jesus, would you please speak to me? Read some of the word. Pray with someone. Check with someone else. It's something you thought you heard. Don't just run off. Oh, God told me this. God told me that. Check with someone else in the body. Make sure God really did tell you that because Satan loves to tell us stuff too and come as an angel of light. So, so talk to someone in the body that you trust and say, hey, listen, this thing's happening. I feel like God spoke this to me. And, and something in their spirit will ring with it or not. You might need to check it through several people. You might be, uh, what do you think? Because it's humility to do that. It's kind of arrogance to think I'm the only one that hears from God for my life. The manifold wisdom of God's in the body. So just sit there and listen for him. You go, well, what if I just sit there because I scratch and itch, it's quiet, I hear every little sound? You will. Don't feel stupid about that. Don't feel like, well, that's a waste of time. I'm wasting my time. That will happen for about five minutes, and then you will start to hear him speak. You'll feel his presence. Well, I never hear God speak. I never hear God speak. I hear that all the time. I never hear God speak. But this one time I was in the woods, and I felt this overwhelming sense of peace. And, and they start telling you a story about how they heard God speak. It's like, well, see, you're not going to necessarily hear it the same as everybody else. Don't always be looking for a voice like you're hearing me right now because he is a master communicator, and he knows how to speak through anything and anyone, even through a donkey. <laughs> There's a whole lot of sarcastic representation that can go into that, but I'm actually talking about Balaam. <laughs> so one more thing. Uh, this, it, it, back to Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9, and I'm just going to read a little section of it that I think is <laughs> fascinating. Verse 8, 
The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They're only a matter of food and drink and very, various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. So one more thing to read you. I'm still way within my legal time, so deal with it. <laughs> I'm way within my legal time. I haven't, even with all of our extra thing that I made the band do on that last song. I wasn't even invited this week. They're like, who invited this guy? <laughs> I, I wasn't even part of it. Uh, but, but quickly, pray for Christy in the band. She's had a rough week. Pray for her family. Pray for Christy. Actually, real quick, let's all pray for Christy. Lord Jesus, Christy Smith is just a magnificent person that anyone here that knows her loves her. And she's going through it this week. And we love her. And we're just praying that you work a miracle in her life, in her family. Just, just help. There's some sickness that's really uh, hurting her mom right now. We're just praying for her. Just praying for her. Praying for her health. Praying for her strength praying for you to move. You're such a powerful, wonderful God. And I just ask God that you would do an amazing thing and bring your peace, your strength, your fruit, your life to that situation. To an amazing person in our fellowship who just loves you so dearly. Praise you, God. Asking for you to move powerfully in that situation mighty living God. She's really, really standing in the gap. And we're asking you, Jesus, to touch your mom and her health. In the name of Christ. Amen. All right, so thank you. Uh, if you go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 2, and like I've been saying, I love it. I love it. He's like, oh, wow, I turned right to it. A lot of you are like, well, so did I. <laughs> I turned right to it, too, <laughs> by just looking up at the screen. It's on the jumbotron. Uh, and that's fine. That's, that's okay. But I hope that your Bible is something that you can access and use independently and individually, and you use it. Please use it. Please open it up. Don't wait for someone to tell you what it means. Open it up. God will tell you what it means. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. So, John chapter 2. Am I going to read a little section? Yes, but it's very small. It's even smaller than the last one. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan and Galilee. It's right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' mother's there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They've got no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, because mom still knows she's mom. <laughs> I just love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. I'm still his mom. He'll do it. He'll do it. Jesus, Je you got it? Okay, do it. And, and, and this woman, where he's like, woman, why do you involve me? That is not a negative term. It's a sign of respect. 
He's not saying something like, like, woman. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she already set him up. My mom used to do this to me all the time. Just walk in somewhere. Hey, Doug, they need this. Go do it. I, I don't even know how to. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you got this. Uh, so his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then verse 6 says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Like, I mean, <laughs> you are a servant. You just watch this play out. You're thinking, why? <laughs> why would, why? You know, I don't think this is going to fool him. Uh, they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't even realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn it knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. You wait till they're hammered, they can't tell the difference, then you give them the garbage. You know, he's like, you know, that's how you save money. And, 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 but you've saved the best till now. When Jesus, what Jesus did here in Cain of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. All right, it's not just because he did a miracle that he revealed his glory. Look at what is happening. This is the finish line of today's message. So tune back in if you suddenly started thinking about what you're going to do on July 4th. Tune back in. This is the finish line. So there's six water jars, the kind that ceremonially are used to clean yourself. You do bad stuff. You wash yourself off, and, you know, you try to, try to, try to fix your sin by washing, ceremonial washing, cleansing. Uh, you know, it could just be ceremonial washing because you want your hands clean, but it's also so much of it part of their tradition. You're cleaning off because you're supposed to be clean. You're supposed to be you're supposed. It's not going to clean you. No. My grandfather said that when he was in his 20s, he got baptized, but he did not know who Jesus was. He said, all I did was come up a wet sinner. I, I, didn't, I never invited Christ in. I never did anything. It just looked so cool. I wanted to be it. So I'm like, okay, oh, I, hey, put me on the water. That saves everything. Yay, splash up. He said, and I, I just kept living my life like an idiot. I, just a dead man walking. I didn't realize there was so much more to this. And then, I, then, I, then when I accepted Christ, I was like, oh, Oh, there's a public declaration that I'm a new creation, that I died with Christ, and I've been raised to life. And I can, and I can produce fruit now. I'm a new stick. Uh, I, uh, now I get it. But he said, I came up a wet sinner. These guys kept coming up wet sinners. Wet sinner. Pilate. Oh, oh, you, 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 can't, you don't have the right to kill Jesus? You want me to do it? He's, I, he's innocent. I've talked to him. He's nothing right. No, crucify, crucify. He's innocent. Crucify. There, I wash my hands of it. Kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't work. Try that with the police. <laughs> you know, they come up. You got stuff in your hands that you just looted out of this house. Oh, oh. I wash my hands. You can't take me in. You have the, you have the, to, you know, have that back. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't clear your conscience, and it doesn't clear your record. So listen, this miracle was to reveal his glory. First, you'll notice a couple of things. 
There are six water jars, and they carry up to 30 gallons of water. That means there's a lot of sinning going on. We, we, we got to wash all the time. Yeah. And the things are empty, so they've used it all up. It's like no amount of washing is going to fix this problem. Jesus is showing that. No amount of washing is going to fix this. No amount of ceremonial washing is ever going to fix your conscience. So to reveal his glory, not to... This always used to bug me. I was like, how could your first miracle be providing alcohol to people that are already hammered? A hundred and eighty gallons of it! The servants are like, is he turning water into wine? It said they filled it to the brim. But they actually didn't know what he was going to do. But he's, he's filled them. They filled them all to the brim. They're like, okay, so now what? You know, he's like, poop. Now I take some to, to match the banquet. And he just tastes it. He's like everybody else. He just tastes it like, oh, my gosh, this wine is so much better than everything that's been served. Instantly recognizes the difference. Like you and I do when you get a sip of the wine that comes from the Holy Spirit. You get one sip of that. You get one sip of the wine that is Jesus' blood that washes away our sin. And it is life-changing. It's freeing. It's saving. You get one sip of the blood of Christ, the wine, the communion. One, where you finally get it and you understand the reality. Everything changes. You don't need 180 gallons of water to take a bath in. You're free. You're saved, you're clean, and your conscience is cleared. And when it starts to get clouded up again, because we have a sin nature that we're battling, when it starts to get there again, or you've walked away for a little while, you come back, you feel like, I'm just a dead stick, I'm just a dead stick. He can produce fruit from you the next day. Just sit in his presence. Just sit in his presence. That same blood does the same thing. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means in your life, Yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't stop moving because you sinned. You were a sinner when he found you. He didn't stop coming because you sinned again. The same blood heals the same way. It's a one-time deal, but you go back and you relive the gospel, and then it just washes over you yet again. He was revealing his glory. You will never get this kind of wine from the world. They tasted it. They're like, this is better than anything we've ever tasted. He says, because it's the wine that I'm bringing. It's the wine that I speak. It's the wine that I live. It's the wine that's coursing through my veins. I am that word. I am that wine. Still within my time. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine. Everyone does that. But have you noticed that Jesus right out the gate gives you the best wine? If, you, if, if you've been saved, you might not have. You might not know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you should talk to me. Find out who he is. 
But have you noticed, Christian, the best wine came when he first revealed who he was, and you're like, oh, my God, you're real. I love you. I love you. I lo- I'll, give every- I'll give up everything for you. Because that's how it starts. Because it gives you that, that wine that's better than anything you've ever tasted. It, it trumps the sin that you were so tangled with, that you thought was so cool, but it kept like a credit card charging you interest. But then he just keeps on giving. There's a lot more than 180 gallons in that vat. Here's what I'm going to do. I have one more minute of legal time that I kind of give myself in my own head. You look at your clock so you know when I normally stop the message and start a last song. If you try to time out your day, don't do that. Super annoying. Uh, Plus, ushers, don't let anybody out till we're done. Okay, just pull those little things like it's a drill or something. Okay. I hate when there's that spiritual moment. People are like, oh, gosh, well, I, I can see that this might take a minute. I'm going to go now. Uh, the parking lot will be empty. I can get out fast. Why? We're not at a baseball game. I wouldn't be at a baseball game. Uh, just because I hate baseball. <laughs> there's, there's no sin. No sin involved. Just take that, you know, do whatever you want with that. Uh, watch a game if you want. Um, can, can the worship team come back up? Have we got everybody? Give me whoever I've got from the worship team. The one that I invaded this week and took over that last song, sorry about that. Uh, but listen, I walked in, they were singing this last song. It so affected me. I thought, this thing is awesome. I love this song. Let's just worship him for a minute in the song. I'm, I'm not going to get crazy. I'm not going to pick up the electric. What I'm going to ask that we do it's just, just what you said. Just, hey, God, I just want to hear from you. I just want to sit in your presence so that I can walk out of here and produce fruit. I don't want the most fruit in my life to be the fact that I just attended church today. I don't want that to be the fruit. I don't want to be, okay, I came to church. Okay, I'm done. Now, I'll probably do a bunch of crap this week, and then I'll better go back to church next week. If, that, that can't be the process. What it is is you spend time with God. You have church in your own house first thing in the morning. Get up and spend some time with it. You do it at night. You do it in the middle of the day. I do it at lunch breaks lots of time. It's not like it has to be morning, but I'm just saying we could take right now and just worship him. But I'm going to ask you, if you're one of the elders of the church, and one of the people I've already talked about prayers, being on a prayer team, you know, come up and stand up here and be ready to pray with people, like right now. Because we're going to play this song again. What I'm going to ask you to do is two things. One, just sit there and just sit in God's presence. Sing along or just listen. It's okay. Either way, it does not matter. Sometimes I just let soft praise play. Pray when I feel like it. Don't pray when I don't. Just let it keep running. There's power in it, people. But, but allow yourself to sit silent for a second. It's okay. We're such a... We always have to have a screen. We always have to have stuff happening. Let it just stop. We'll worship. Just pray to him yourself. And then, and then we'll just, you know, 
some of you, I'm going to ask you one of two things. Some of you will feel a tug at your heart to come up and pray with someone. I want to see my pray, pray people. <laughs> Paul, you coming up? <laughs> come on up. Do it right now. Come right up right now. We were talking about praying. And uh, yeah, awesome. Come up. I just, some of the people, so you know someone's here. I'm very, very serious. I'm going to stand right here too. I'm going to turn my if you, if you say something like, oh, oh, I, I was going to say something about something in my life, <laughs> you won't be talking to, into my microphone. We're telling the whole world. We're, we're just going to pray. So it might be someone you're tugged at, and you want to come up and accept Christ. You've never done this. I'm that dead stick. I'm, sitting, I'm a dead stick. There's no fruit in my life. I need that. And invite Jesus in. And some of you are just going to be like, I need to go up there and just pray because I'm so frustrated or there's something going on in my life that needs God's attention. I can't seem to get where I want to get. But I know him. I know he's real. And just pray with someone. There's no magic people in here who are better at praying. We're just, we're just, we're just here to pray with you. And then finally, so the other part might be, I'm just sitting here and spending time in God's presence. Praise God. I'm in a wonderful mood today. I'm thankful to have him. And I'm just wanting to saturate in him. Then do it. Let's do that with this last song. Ushers, stand in front of those doors. Nobody leaves. It's one song.